just to give some background, if people haven't seen the previous videos, I'm going to just define the terms quickly, the conscious mind, the subconscious mind. The conscious mind is where uh, we dwell most of the time. It's the free will mind. It's the part of us that makes choices. It's the part of our mind that is rational, analytical, and logical. That's where we do our critical thinking. Uh, it's where we do our analysis. And most people approach their problems and approach their life at the level of the conscious mind only, usually, in terms of uh, evaluating, making decisions and stuff like that. The subconscious mind consists of everything else that we have the capacity to think or know that we're not conscious of in the moment. And it's often called the involuntary mind. It's called the involuntary mind because it just responds or reacts. So before we get into some ways to reprogram the subconscious, let's talk a little bit about why we want to do that or why you might want to pay attention to the subconscious mind. So first thing I want to say is that all of us, every human being has a tremendous wealth of knowledge and information locked inside of us and we just don't know how to access it. There's so much wisdom. There's so much knowledge inside of you. And when we talk about, even when we talk about things like reprogramming the subconscious or we talk about, um, self-help or mental health or uh, self-improvement, spirituality, more often than not, when we get into these movements in our lives, we want to increase our spirituality. We want to um, <clears throat> improve ourselves. We want to get better at something. We want our lives to get better. We want to be happier. We want to break old habits or things like that. We can go out and invest a tremendous amount of time and money in conferences, uh, watching uh, videos like this, reading books, all this studying that we're doing, trying to grow, trying to improve ourselves, trying to do all these things is studying uh, books and information produced by other people, stuff that's outside of us. Oftentimes we can think they know more about life or they know more about this area and Oftentimes that's true, and oftentimes that's really important to get that information and to get that knowledge. But one of the most neglected areas of study, and one of the reasons that things like the law of attraction or self-improvement programs don't work for people, is we'll spend all our time studying this stuff outside of ourselves, and we spend very little time studying ourselves. Now, for those of you that know or may be unfamiliar on Facebook on Fridays, Derek Day and I do a podcast called Freeology Friday. And this last Freeology Friday, we had uh, Derek's son, Ducey, who's 18 years old. And uh, Derek and I were talking about this principle, this idea of self-observation. And the reason why, okay, so let me come back. Self-observation is one of the things I want to talk about. But let me come back and talk about why, some more reasons why we want to reprogram the subconscious mind. Part of the reason we want to reprogram the subconscious mind is because it's dictating a lot to us in the way that we live our lives. And I'll explain this a little bit better in a moment. And also it runs on autopilot. So once something is locked into us, that's a habit, that's a conditioned habitual response that we have, that's a repetitive thought or repetitive emotion that we experience what we end up doing is just living out of that 
autopilot. And that autopilot is taking us someplace. And it can either be taking us where we want to go or it can be really derailing us and preventing us from getting what we want to get out of life, having what we want to have. So having access to this programming within yourself, having access to this autopilot within yourself and understanding it, knowing how it operates is absolutely essential to changing your life. And that cannot happen without self-observation, or I'm going to put it this way, without really studying yourself. So I want you to think about it this way. Let's suppose that you have, let's use this metaphor. Let's suppose that you have this tremendous computer running just below the level of your consciousness in your brain that knows everything about you. It's a vast resource of information about you and about life and about your life. And we never open that up we never examine that, we never study that, then we are denying ourselves the greatest resource that we have, which is information that comes from within. So again, instead of studying, there's a scripture for those of you that come out of religion, uh, especially Christian, uh, really hardcore Christian fundamentalism. There was a verse from uh, one of the writings of the Apostle Paul that we love to quote. I can't remember if it's in First or Second Timothy, but it says, study to show yourself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed in the King James Version. And as pastors and people that hosted Bible studies and stuff like that, we love to encourage people to study to show themselves to be approved because that meant they would show up and they would get into the scriptures and they'd listen to what we had to say. So um, so it's a favorite one we like to put out there, but it's also one that I took very, very seriously. And so I've been very studious all of my life. But it's one thing to study external stuff to show yourself approved. It's a completely different thing to study yourself to be approved. And I want to just introduce that concept. How much time do you spend studying yourself? So, again, we talked about this on this last Freeology Friday. But what what, what does it mean to study yourself? And this gets into this whole idea and concept of self-observation with curiosity. Self-observation with curiosity, becoming very curious about yourself, becoming very curious about what goes on inside of here. Uh, I'm a professional licensed uh, counselor and clinical therapist, and so people come to me for my expertise, obviously, for counseling to improve their lives, to fix a problem, whatever the case may be. And I always emphasize in the first session and then continually through the follow-up sessions as we're working through a treatment plan, I will consistently remind my clients, you are the expert on yourself. And one of the ways or one of the only ways that we can really change our lives and bring bring about true and lasting change is to understand that you're the expert on yourself. Now, when you understand that you are the expert on yourself, that is a powerful frame to live with because you no longer start expecting people to know what's best for you. You no longer start expecting people to know what's right for you. You no longer start expecting people just to rescue you. You realize that no one else has as much expertise about your life or has as much expertise about you as you. So therefore, no one else's expertise can override yours. Our problem is we don't know that we're an expert on ourselves. 
And then our second problem is that we don't know how to access this expertise. And this expertise, again, is inside you. It's locked up inside the subconscious mind. And again, the subconscious mind is dictating for you a lot of the responses and a lot of the reactions that you're having in life. Now, here's the thing. The conscious mind, the voluntary mind, what you're aware of, what you use to analyze and do critical thinking and what you use to function and operate through most of your life, most of your everyday life, the conscious mind has a certain logic to it. It has a certain analysis to it. Now, the subconscious mind is a second mind, and it has a logic of its own. It has a way of doing things that is completely different and completely other than the conscious mind. So let's say that you're a person that you're stuck in some form of self-sabotage. And by self-sabotage, I just mean that consciously you want to get to some place. You want, you have a goal, you have a change, you have something you want to accomplish in your life, but you find yourself, uh, procrastinating. You find yourself, um, <clears throat> making bad decisions. Uh, you, 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 Look back, you can look back on something and say, I wish I would have made this decision or I wish I would have made that decision. I would have had a totally different outcome. Um, again, procrastination is a big one. I think about like people who want to lose weight, people who want to quit bad habits, stuff like that. Maybe you want to save more money. You want to spend less and save more money. Maybe you want to get a different job, but you just have these blocks inside you or you get uh <clears throat> to the job interview. It's the job that you want. You get to the job interview and somehow you just become maybe you're extremely nervous. Maybe your mind just goes blank for some reason, but you end up blowing the job interview and you're quite capable. At, you know, you're, you're fit for the job. You're capable, but somehow you just weren't quite able to sell yourself or you did some really sort of you look back on it, and say, man, that was really dumb that I did that. If I just would have done this, then I would have you know, perhaps gotten that, or you want to get into the gym, you want to lose weight, but you procrastinate going to the gym, or you do good with your diet for a week or two, and then all of a sudden you go and you just binge, not just out of hunger, but uh, for all kinds of other reasons. And so that self-sabotage, that self-stopping and preventing yourself from getting to where you want to go, all that stuff's coming up from the subconscious mind. So you understand what I mean by like just sabotaging. So how do we begin to address this? And how do we begin to reprogram this? <clears throat> I want you to first realize that your life, obviously my life, consists of a series of interactions and a series of choices that we go through every day. Now, what's happening under the surface, what's happening coming up from the subconscious mind is that we're going through various different changes in mood and emotion and feeling throughout our day many, many, many times a day. Our state of being and state of mind is uh, very in flux, and it's changing subtly throughout the day for, more, for most people. And for most people, it's so subtle <clears throat> that unless you start paying attention to yourself, you don't really notice the subtle changes that are taking place in your emotional life, in your thought life, <clears throat> because you're, we're just aware of life out here. Like our, our focus is out on, on the outside. It's the people that we're dealing with. It's the circumstances that we're going through. It's how we're feeling externally. I'm, I'm hot. It's a hot day. I'm cold. I'm uncomfortable. I'm comfortable. 
uh, I'm relaxing, but all of it's kind of connected to what's going on around us. And um, again, unless you start to study yourself, you don't necessarily pay attention to the things that are going on within you. And this can, and, and so, so when I'm saying self-observation, what I'm suggesting is that you spend a day and you take notes or you <clears throat> take, even if it's just a mental note of what's happening to you in here throughout your day, starting by waking up, asking yourself when you wake up, how do I feel today? How do I feel about the day today? One of the things, one of the problems that we have as Westerners, especially, is that we tend to think too much about situations and we don't feel enough about situations. Or let me put it this way. For a lot of us, we don't know how to get our conscious mind and our subconscious mind working together so that we can think, feel about situations. So next time you want to problem solve, Don't just think about, I have this problem, and how do I solve this problem? But feel about it as well. Feel about the problem. And not just, not just, how do I feel about this? That's just the beginning. No, how do I feel about this is just the beginning. But feeling the situation in the same way you would think about it. In other words, if you're trying to problem solve, you have a thought about a situation. Your thoughts are going to build upon the thoughts. Your initial thought is going to be, I don't think this problem can be solved. I think this problem can be solved. I think this problem can be solved, but I don't know how to solve this problem. That might be like your initial evaluation. Or maybe your initial evaluation is simply, this is a problem. (laughs) This is something I need to address. Well, if you're problem solving, you start to think about that problem and that situation, and you begin to think about different ways and different avenues that that problem can be solved. Now, this can be as simple as um, your way to work gets blocked. For some reason, the normal drive that you take, uh, you're in a city that you live, city that you're familiar with, and for some reason, <clears throat> there's a car accident, the road's blocked, something like that, and you have to take a different route. So in your mind, you start thinking about, well, I could take this route or I could take that route. This is going to take a few extra minutes. You're thinking about how to problem solve it. And then when you make a conclusion about what's the best alternate route to take, or maybe you don't know, you put it in in your GPS, whatever, but you're still problem solving. It can be as basic as that, just, you know, little obstacles that are kind of pain in the ass that show up that we don't pay attention to much, but you're still problem solving with your mind. Another way that you might be problem solving. It might be on a bigger situation. Maybe you're not making enough money and you need to get a new job or a new career. Maybe you're in a bad relationship. You need to, you know, change relationships. And so those are bigger problems. So those require more thought. And so oftentimes we'll just sit there and we'll do the analytical thinking and the critical thinking. <clears throat> what I'm suggesting is that you feel how do you, so, so if somebody were to ask you, once you get past those initial thoughts, this is a problem, this is a problem I can solve, and I start getting into the how, someone were to ask me, what do you think about that problem? I'm going to expand into all the thoughts, logical and analytical thinking that I've had when I'm discussing what I think about that problem. So when I say feel about your problems, I'm suggesting the same kind of process. I'm not just saying I feel terrible about this problem. I feel hopeful about this problem. I feel... Uh, like I just want to get this behind me. I just want to get it done. I feel anxious about it. I feel nervous about it. I feel yucky about it. I feel depressed about it. I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about tapping into the wisdom of your emotions and letting your emotions guide you. 
Now, for some people, that may, you're probably like, well, what do you mean by that? How do you do that? Just be content for right now to invite yourself to go more with your feelings. And when I say go more with them, I don't mean, I don't mean acting on them and just go with it. If it feels good, do it. I mean, pay attention to all the various different feelings and emotions that you have about a situation. Now, for some people, they live really disconnected from their emotions. And there could be a lot of reasons for that. A lot of reasons for that. It could be childhood trauma or it could be childhood messages that said, you know, uh, calm down, settle down, quit crying. Why are you so angry? You know, we go through a lot of emotional invalidation throughout our lives. And there are certain emotions that are acceptable socially, religiously, personally, and certain emotions that aren't, certain emotions that are pleasant, certain emotions that are unpleasant. But the truth is that the emotions, what you're feeling about a situation is going to tell you more about what you actually think and believe about a situation than anything you can come up with in your analytical mind. So you could say it this way. The conscious mind thinks, the subconscious mind feels. Or the conscious mind is kind of up here in the thought life, and the subconscious mind is very much in the body because you've never had an emotion that you didn't experience in your body. So if you're one of those people that you feel disconnected from your emotions, one of the first things you can do is when you're trying to learn how to feel about a situation, you're trying to learn how to reprogram the subconscious mind, then what you do is you just begin to pay more attention to your body. You begin to pay attention to where there's tension in your body, where there's sensations in your body, where you feel stuck, where the energy feels stuck in your body. Pay attention when you're having an emotion. How is it registering in my body and what does it feel like? You don't have to identify it with an emotional feeling. You can identify it simply by saying it feels heavy. It feels uh, gross. It feels slimy. It feels hot. It feels sharp. It feels painful. It feels pleasant. It feels unpleasant. It feels restrictive. It feels liberating. All that kind of stuff. All that kind of stuff is beginning to probe the wisdom that you have within you, the wisdom that you have within your subconscious mind. And when you begin to pay attention to the subtle shifts as they happen throughout your day, and you observe with curiosity, you'd never observe with judgment, you never observe yourself with condemnation, you observe yourself, you observe your mind with curiosity. In other words, you approach your life for one day. I'm suggesting you just try this for one day. You wake up in the morning, with curiosity, like a detached observer that's watching your life and just taking notes about you, you write down, this is, I feel tired this morning. I don't, I feel resistance to my day. You'll notice that a lot. When you start paying attention to your feelings, you're going to notice a lot of resistance. Feel resistant about my day. I feel resistant about adulting today. I'm dreading going into work today. I'm really looking forward to seeing so-and-so today. I feel like today's going to be a good day. I feel like today's going to be a terrible day. Whatever. You start with that initial impression. And then you watch yourself and pay attention to the subtle changes that happen at a feeling level when you're going through your day. So if you get irritated by something, note that irritation. Note what's happening. Note the irritation that you're feeling. If you really enjoy something, note what it is. Note the feeling of enjoyment that you're having. 
And then once you've done that, then you can begin to probe. You can do this in real time too, but sometimes we're so busy throughout our day, it's hard to do it in real time. But if you can do it in real time, that's even better. Oh, I noticed that I had a subtle shift towards irritation. I had a subtle shift towards resistance. Again, I'm going to say this over and over. Like the subconscious mind is giving you lots of resistance throughout your day. And you want to examine that resistance. So I walk into work and I see a certain person and immediately I feel a subtle shift of resistance towards that person. And then I want to ask myself the question, oh, that's interesting. See, from a place of curiosity, oh, that's interesting. I feel resistance. Why do I feel that resistance? Well, this person complains too much. They're full of negative energy. And I know the moment I ask them how their day is going to be, they're going to put negative energy on me. So I'm resisting now, not so much the person, I'm resisting their moods that I've had experience with. Now, this is what you'll notice. I've had experience with this person and their moods. I didn't like it. I didn't know how to deal with it. So I resist having any interaction with them. Now, you're getting some good information. You know, number one, that you did have a subtle shift in your feelings. Number two, you're beginning to understand when you have that subtle shift, when I saw this person. And number three, you're understanding why you had that subtle shift, because I don't want to listen to their negative energy. Now, your automatic response is to avoid them, not engage with them, or engage with them and take on the negative energy that you don't want to take. So when you get to that point where you realize, okay, this is what's happening, This is what's happening at the emotional level. This is why this is happening. Now the conscious mind has access to that information and it can make a whole new set of choices. See, the day before you would see that person, you'd have the subtle shift in energy and you just head for your office out of habit and wouldn't even think about it. Now you notice the subtle shift. You notice why you're having it. You notice the choice that you're making and you can begin to think about, invite yourself to say, what are some other responses that I can have? How can I, you might even go so far as to say, how can I allow this person to be in their negativity without feeling resistance towards that? I mean, at the end of the day, if they're upset they with their life, they just like to complain, they have a negative focus, whatever. What is that to me? How is that a problem for me? The only problem it is for me is that I don't like listening to it, but then I can go down deeper and I can say, why don't I like listening to it? And then you might find, well, this reminds me of just how my mom used to be. Let's say it's a, a female coworker. This is just how my mom used to be. My mom was always complaining about me. My mom was always complaining about the house. My mom was always complaining about uh, my dad or whatever. And that made me feel like I didn't measure up. That made me feel like... Uh, you know, when mom was always constantly writing me about different stuff, that made me feel like uh, I didn't count. I didn't, I, I wasn't capable. So now I realize when I see that person at work, I feel resistance to their negativity. I want to avoid them because I feel resistance to their negativity. And the reason I feel resistance to their negativity is because all these memories are coming up from the subconscious mind so fast and so subtle I don't catch them. 
Most of the memories are coming up as emotional memories. I remember when mom used to be like that. And that reminds me of when I was a child and that made me feel incapable. And I don't like feeling incapable at work. So now I realize why I've got all this resistance and stress according to, you know, with this person studying yourself, see, studying yourself. Then I can have a choice. I can remind myself, no, I'm not that incompetent person. I'm not that eight-year-old boy that lives at home that's getting in trouble for not cleaning up his room, putting away his dishes and doing his homework and and all that stuff, right? Uh, I don't have to see, because when you're being nagged by a parent, you have to fix that problem. Aaron, clean your room. Aaron, finish your plate. Aaron, pick up the dishes. See, I have to do something about that. I have to fix that to make that go away. So I would jump into fix-it mode. Okay, watch this. So now I've got the coworker at work who's nagging, who's complaining, sorry, reminds me of the nagging, all that stuff that's in my subconscious. The memories come up. I'm not conscious that they're coming up, but the memories come up of mom being a nag. And I felt a certain pressure when mom would be a nag. And when I get with this person, I feel the same pressure. And so I automatically feel like I have to fix this person's problem. And so then I become the kind of person that's always giving unsolicited advice, who's always trying to fix a problem that someone else has. Because when they're talking about a problem, it's reminding me of my childhood when I had to fix the problem. And my brain's coming up and saying, this is what you have to do. So what I want you to see, I'll give you a few more examples of this, but what I want you to see in this video is that we are living primarily, almost entirely, from the past. That very seldom, and without doing this kind of work, I don't know how you can live in the present present or towards a significantly different future without doing this work in some way or another. Because what's happening is, is that as we're going through life, as we're feeling these subtle changes inside, these subtle changes are the result of all the information that's coming in from the subconscious mind. And all that information, or most of it, I can't want to say all of it, I want to be absolute, but a, a bunch of that information that's coming in from the subconscious mind is coming in from memories and programmings from the past. And so I'm not responding to my coworker because my coworker didn't cause the resistance. I'm responding to my mom who, who's, you know, maybe even passed on, but I'm responding to her because of the resistance in the situation that I had as a child and that kind of stuff's coming up. And now I'm responding to the situation as an eight year old instead of as a 50 year old, <laughs> but I'm using sophisticated 50 year old methods to try and get it done. Right. Um, <clears throat> Maybe I tried to avoid work and avoid my mom, so I try to avoid that coworker. And it's not always your mom. I'm going to give you a couple more simple examples. Uh, <clears throat> one, of, one of the things that I, I've done is I've worked with a lot of women with body dysmorphia or eating disorders, uh, bulimia, uh, anorexia, that kind of thing. And it's a really interesting phenomenon because the scale can tell them that they're thin enough. Clothing sizes can tell them that they're thin enough. Other people can tell them that they're too thin. The mirror might even tell them that they're too thin. But they have this compulsion to stay thin. 
or they have this compulsion to go out and eat and then throw up. But enough is never, it's never enough. And it's never about making healthy choices about food and exercise. It's all usually tied up with body image. And so one of the things that I found in my work is that we need to uncover, you need to get into those feelings that you have and begin to help the person uncover what are the subconscious psychologics? Because the subconscious mind is very logical. It's very psychological. And I'll show you how the logic of the subconscious mind can be totally different than the logic of the conscious mind. The logic of the conscious mind says you're not healthy. The logic of the conscious mind says if you keep this up, you're going to kill yourself. Logic of the conscious mind says the scale and the, and the clothing and all this stuff <clears throat> shows that you really find the way you are. But then you begin to uncover, and for a lot of these women, uh, we uncover uh, sexual traumas, sexual assaults, things like that, usually very, very young. So oftentimes, those initial sexual encounters are very shame-inducing. They're very painful. They're very disgusting. They're very violating. They're, you feel very vulnerable. They're very traumatic. There's a lot of fight and flight and different things associated with those encounters. And so maybe perhaps, you know, very young, six, seven, eight years old. And that child says, I will fix this by making sure that I'm unattractive. Let's just take that for example. If, if my body's not attractive to other men and men are predators, then I'll be safe in a predatory environment. So maybe that means eating so much and gaining so much weight that you violate what you believe to be the cultural norms. Or for other people, some of these women, the sexual assaults happen, they're hitting, they're beginning to change. And so they look like women of themselves, they can lose um, their breasts, their hips, that kind of stuff. They can just look skinny and, and like a boy, then that makes them safe. And so you can see the psychologics in the subconscious mind, right? The subconscious mind is saying, if you change, I'm not saying that everybody has that problem or that issue. I'm saying that everybody has psychological reasons in their subconscious for why they do stuff that they can't explain. And it makes sense, and everybody's different. That's why you have to study yourself. That's why you have to get to know what are your things. So I'll give you one more example from my own life. Um, and then we'll talk about, you know, just some ways to, to change this and to reprogram this. Uh, I remember <clears throat> learning how to ski. Now, I live in Colorado. A lot of people go skiing in Colorado. I had a lot of opportunities to go skiing. I like being outdoors. I like physical activity. I'm not the was never the greatest athlete in the world, but I wasn't terrible either. Uh, but for whatever reason, I always avoided going skiing until I was in my 30s. And when I was in my 30s, I went skiing with a group of guys. And uh, the, my skiing lessons consisted of uh, putting on the skis, uh, getting on the chairlift, and going to the first run, <laughs> coming down the mountain. And there... <clears throat> and. You know, having learned to ski since, it's it's not that complicated. But I had a hell of a time skiing. I fell more times 
than I could count. By the time I came down off that mountain, that one very simple blue run, I was exhausted. I was sweating. My body was aching. My muscles were sore and stiff and weak and trembling. I had fallen probably a hundred times coming down the mountain. I'm coming down the mountain. Here come these little kids just learning to ski. They're doing their little snow plow and they just zip right by me. I want to take my, uh, uh, pole and just shoot it at them because I'm like, damn kids. How come they can learn to ski and I can't? And it was embarrassing. It was difficult. I never wanted to have anything to do with that again. Why did I have such a hard time? Why, I mean, why can't I even just figure out some, some basic simple ways on how to turn or even just snow plow down the mountain like the kids were doing? What's wrong with me? And just this host of just stuff. God, Aaron, what's wrong with you? You never should have done this. You look like an idiot. Oh my God, you're so incapable. Oh, you should be so embarrassed. What are these guys that you're with? What are they thinking about you? They're going to lose all respect for you. They're going to lose respect for you. All that stuff's going on in my mind and in my subconscious. And I didn't know what I know now. <clears throat> All I knew was I was having a hell of a time. So for whatever reason, I was thinking about that. And uh, when I was thinking about this today, like noticing what's going on, noticing the shifts in your emotions. That was, that was a very physically and emotionally draining time for me. It was physically draining because it was so hard. And it was emotionally draining because it was so embarrassing. And so I was thinking, what was causing, what was going on, putting myself back in that situation, what was going on at an emotional level? And suddenly I remembered that every time I would just begin to pick up a little bit of speed with the skis, like just even just a little bit of ski, uh, speed, I would get scared and I would cause myself to fall. Now that's the truth. So imagine that, trying to ski down the mountain, even on a blue run. Every time you pick up just a little bit of speed, like, oh, my God, boom. (laughs) And I remember being focused on the trees and and all this stuff. And so I'm like, where did this fear come from? And instantly, as soon as I asked, that's the great thing about the subconscious mind. When you ask, it'll give you answers. As soon as I asked, I remembered my first, very, very first experience with skiing. Very, very first one was not skiing at all. It was when I was four or five years old. There was a movie, I think it was made in like 1975, 1976, called The Other Side of the Mountain. And I remember my parents really liked this movie. And so whenever it would come on TV or maybe we we had one of those early VCRs, you know, and so maybe they recorded it on VCR or something. But I remember, I remember as a child seeing there was my parents watching this movie, The Other Side of the Mountain. Well, this movie, The Other Side of the Mountain was by, <clears throat> was a true story about an Olympic skier in 1956. I forget her name <clears throat> who had a skiing accident and was left paraplegic. And I'm watching this movie. First time I'd ever seen someone ski. First time I'd ever heard of skiing. And I'm watching this movie and I'm so traumatized vicariously through what this woman went through watching this and thinking to myself, I actually remember as a little boy sitting there thinking to myself, I will never do that. I will never ski. I never want to put myself, I never want to put myself in that situation where I could end up quadriplegic like that. I'm never going to ski. And 
because it was so traumatic, because I was so little and, and because it was a true story and because there's like this vicarious trauma, my brain locked that in. So psychologically, as a five, six, seven year old kid, whatever I was, probably, probably more like four or five, my thought was, if I ski, that could happen to me. To prevent that from happen to me, happening to me, I will never ski. So, buried in my self-conscious, um, buried in my subconscious, 20 some years later, 26 years later, whatever it was, 25 years later, I get on a pair of skis, I get up on the mountain, and I start to pick up speed. And the moment I start to pick up speed, my subconscious starts sending off alarm bells. Remember, don't ski. Now, this none of this is going on consciously. It's going on subconsciously on an emotional level. Start to get too fast, get scared, fall down. Why? Because if I control my fall, if I control my fall, then I can't fall in such a way that I break my neck. So that programming from the past is projecting itself into my present moment and is controlling my experience in the present moment. Now, if I'd have been able to get down that mountain, what I did was I put up the skis, man. I'm like, I'm not doing it again. I did. I finally did eventually go again and learn how to ski and can do it, sort of. But I'll never get on a black run, you know. Now, if I wanted to, which I don't, but if I wanted to, then I would have to look at that programming and I would have to work through that feeling when that emotion comes up and say, Aaron, that was television. That was someone else's life. And kind of logically coach through the subconscious to re-educate it and reorient it. See, it's one thing, a lot of stuff that we get taught on reprogramming the subconscious does not require us to examine, to even get into the program to hack it at all. Um, it's like we think we can just take auto-suggestion and overcome it. I'm a good skier. I'm a good skier. I'm going to imagine myself being a good skier. Now, that might work, but it might not. Um, so what we do is we like we, we try to start with a blank slate and we try to just shove this stuff in the subconscious and then think it should be reprogrammed. And we don't understand why it's so hard, why it's taking us so long. Why if we let up, like if I do my auto suggestion and my affirmations and I do my imaginations for the law of attraction and stuff like that. I do it for two weeks, do it for three weeks. But then if I let up, it's like, boom, all that negativity comes back. Well, again, if I can use the computer illustration or device, if you think about your uh, subconscious mind as a device that holds a bunch of information, then <clears throat> what you're doing is you're just installing a new app. Now, so I have a skiing app that says skiing is dangerous and it's going to leave you dead or with a broken neck or paraplegic. And that's in my subconscious. And then I imagine myself skiing and stuff like that. All I'm doing is hopefully maybe installing another program, another app, if you will, that's skiing. But I'm not dealing. It's not necessarily overriding or hacking the original app. I'm leaving that original app alone and I'm just installing these new apps. See what I'm saying? If, however, 
And, and so that's why it doesn't work because then whichever one's strongest, whichever one's the strongest. So more than likely, the fear of death that I had at five, six years old, the fear of breaking my neck and ending up quadriplegic, how real that experience was to me and the way it got locked into the brain. More than likely, that's going to carry more emotional weight than me just meditating on, I can ski, I can ski, I can ski. Now, I was able to go and do that. I was able to override that primarily by experiencing something different. So now my brain had other information. Oh, that happened to that person, but here's your experience, and your experience has been okay, so you're okay and you're safe. But I'll be honest, I still don't have a big desire to go skiing. Um, so even though I maybe I could do it if I really wanted to, you know, make that a goal of mine, like let's say down the road my kids really want to get into that, then I may want to enjoy that more, then I'm going to have to do work on that original app that's there to hack the actual software that's there. Now, this is not as complicated as it sounds because your subconscious mind knows it's running that program. The only reason I was able to access that memory from that television show, The Other Side of the Mountain, was because it was literally presenting that memory to me in that moment. It just wasn't happening in a way that my conscious mind could catch it. So if I could catch myself in the state and I can catch myself thinking about it and I can ask these questions, oh, that's interesting. Why did I have a hard time skiing? Because every time I got to go in too fast, I got scared and I had to fall down. Why would I get scared? Logically, it makes no sense. It's a blue run. It's a safe run. Little kids are doing it. Um, people with much less ability <laughs> are doing it. Uh, makes no sense. Right. makes no logical sense. So instead of fighting with that and getting angry and struggling, it's just like, oh, that's interesting. There was fear there. Where does that fear come from? Where did that fear originate? And instantly that memory came up. The reason that memory could come up so instantly was because it was there all along to begin with. So, again, without doing this kind of work, what we're doing is we're living from the past. So if you really want to change your future, if you really want to work the law of attraction, if you really want to bring something different into your life, then we have to realize that we're operating to a large degree from this past programming. And we'll never be able to get free from this past programming if we don't examine this past programming and see it. Once you see it, once your conscious mind sees it, then it can download new information to literally like hack that specific program. So you don't have to. Once you get to that program, then change can happen in a few minutes. Change doesn't have to happen by this long-term affirming and, and, and not that there's anything wrong with that. I think those are good things to do or, you know, trying to do things, put things in your mind and meditation and auto suggestion. I believe in all those things. We've talked about all those things, but that might take a really long time. And it might not ever work, but when you can identify the very thing, the bug in the system, if you will, it's like I had a little virus in my system that was saying, no, you can't learn to ski because it's too dangerous. Once I could identify that bug and I said, oh, that's what that comes from. That makes so much sense. I remember that movie. I remember how much it upset me as a child. I remember how much it traumatized me as a kid thinking about this and how much it scared me away from wanting to ski and stuff like that. And then I can kind of chuckle at it. And then to a large degree, oftentimes that's it. Now, sometimes you need to access that part and you need to reprogram it. 
you need to look at it and uh, bring a different emotion to it. Laugh at it, not in a scoffing sort of way, but in a like you would a cute child sort of way, you know, and say, yeah, that's how a child thinks. Wow, I imported that, that childish thinking. I remember this memory. That's what that is. And you can do a lot of reprogramming just that way. So, again, just to recap, simple ways to reprogram the subconscious, self-observation, watching yourself, paying attention to the subtle changes in state and mood. Instead of just moving on with your life, when you notice that subtle change, if you can do it real time, stop, ask yourself, what? why am I feeling this resistance? Where is this coming from? Asking the subconscious mind to give you the answer. What past situation am I living in right now? When did I feel like this before? What is this here? And you'll get good at it. And then you just, through a series of questions, opening that up, finding that stuff. And then when you find it in real time, you can give yourself a different suggestion. I'm not an Olympic skier. I'm not doing a huge jump. I'm not, I'm on a blue run. I'm not on an Olympic black run. I'm not an eight year old watching a movie. See, all those kinds of things. That's not my mom. That's not my mom nagging me and I don't have to fix this problem. So the person starts coming at you at work to bring this full circle, putting negative energy on you. You can just say, not my problem. And so doing those little subtle things can help you shift and change your subconscious mind. So hope that was helpful. Again, having trouble today. Of course I am with um, my live stream. Can't see the comments. I'm going to have to go back and look at them. But uh, if you watch this, I appreciate you taking the time to watch this. And I uh, hope you have a great rest of your day, evening, whatever time it is.